Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to your listening. Yep. To the Dr. Pat show. This is talk radio to thrive by. You're also listening to us on a number of different networks, but one of them, of course, is transformation talk radio. Uh, you're also listening from Seattle on one of our super affiliates, AM 1150. Um, and for those super of you affiliates. out, wow, yeah, like, like, a I like that. Ship. not just your average affiliate. We've oh, got a super affiliate. <laughs> you're like, All right. hub. we just stepped it up. Like a hover, like it's a <laughs> just like I said. All right, it's like a super, like a not like a weather cell, but a super no, cell. you're like the super. Wow, right? Now I got you know something to saying? live up to today. Yeah, right. I know what big, you're saying. I know I'll what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Benny, it's like a super thing to live up to for sure. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Love There's it, no question love about it. Love it. it. Love it, love it. Um, but the, it's really true. I mean, almost every show of the Dr. Pat show begins in this hub so you are the focal point you're the you're in the vortex you're you're like the thing that generates the thing and then the other thing and then the other thing like that wow yeah I, like i said those are some big shoes to fill i don't know i might just yeah. stay with super yeah soul, you know, i mean super... you're almost better than white castle hamburgers <laughs> but i'm not sure you know i've never had those <gasps> i know okay so wherever you can find them if they're fresh send them to me i want to try them I don't think they live here. I, I mean, I'm not even sure if they. They do in frozen fresh version. Oh, but do they? I think they still are in the Bronx where I was born. Actually, I said frozen fresh. What's that? Did you say to frozen be? fresh? Yeah, did. did you say that? Oh, my God. Well, now technically, you're talking I guess about, they are. But <laughs> I think you're talking about salmon, though, because we oh. get frozen fresh salmon. Mm, yep. Oh, I have. A, actually, I have a box coming to me. Do you really? My buddy is buddy. a fisher boat person. A fisher pro- boat person? Fisher boat person, uh-huh. like, you know, the boats that go out and actually catch fish. Commercial, yes, I did that for a few years yeah. in Alaska. Yes, I did. Uh, and just so you know, um, they freeze everything right there. Yeah, well, they have and to. So they got to get down here. I buy them by the box. That's what you're supposed to do. Or if you go up there and fish it like yourself, you just bring it on the plane with you. Should I even announce how much I pay for them? No, no. I'm not going to do that. No, no, That's no, That's not no. fair. It's not fair because <laughs> everybody's going to be like going to the store. Uh, I know. And they'll. Oh, they were like, oh, wait a minute. Why is that $18 a pound? There you go. Uh, I, you know, but I, I think I'm going to let Brian talk about all this. Perfect. Dr. Brian Wilson's joining <laughs> us here today. He's probably thinking, really? Who scheduled <laughs> me for these two? Um, listen, Benny, I'm so glad you went off and got well rested, getting geared up as we're getting in, get ready to come into the holiday mm-hmm, season mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here's what I love about this. So Linda is my producer. You're my uh, you're my producer engineer, but Linda is the 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 brainchild behind who I get to talk with. 
She's also my best friend since 1973. And so when this book came across the desk, I, I looked at it and I said, okay, there's no question about it. I have got to have a conversation with somebody, somebody that has done this type of thorough investigation and writing about a gentleman, I just want to say, a gentleman, John E. Fetzer. The book is called John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. Brian, Dr. Brian C. Wilson, joining us here today, is the author of the book. He's also a professor at the American Religious History, uh, a professor of American Religious History and Department of Comparative Re Religion at Western Michigan University, WMU. Uh, and he has written this incredible book. However, it's not his first book. He's also written award-winning award -winning books. But more importantly, he's somebody that is bringing a conversation to the forefront because there aren't many people that are willing to even use the phrase new age anymore. <laughs> and when I got this book, I thought, okay, I'm going to read it. And when I opened it up and I saw what Dr. Wilson put in to this beautifully written research love, we got to love us researchers, researcher uh, robust book, I thought to myself, there is the missing link. He has covered it. We've got it in the book. So we're not only going to talk about evolution today and the evolution of, uh, of, uh, of John Fetzer's beliefs, but we're going to talk about how you take beliefs and create and manifest and put them into action. Because one of the things that you guys have heard me talk about in the context of the new age is it is the now age. Dr. Wilson, great to have you here. Great to have you. Great to be with you. I, I hope you didn't hang up after Benny and I were talking. <laughs> no, you're making me hungry with uh, the White Castle oh. burgers. Oh, my God. With a side of salmon. <laughs> with yeah, a side right. of salmon. Yeah. Well, growing up in New York, right, I grew up in the Bronx. And the when, we, when people say, let's go out to dinner, we went for a 12-cent White Castle hamburger. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can't beat them. But I, I, would have, I wonder if John Fetzer did the same thing. What do you think? Um, he was one who loved his hamburgers, actually. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Um, he was a, an aficionado of Burger King burgers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with the what I, I want to start with kind of a, 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 an interesting question for you, mm -hmm. because this is more about you than it is about he. Um, I think each of us have been touched on the shoulder by somebody in our lifetime or previous lifetimes. I want to know from you, what was it about Fetzer? What was it about John? What mm -hmm. was it about his life? And I guess the question that I'm asking is kind of interesting because, I mean, you could be, you know, Fetzer incarnate, <laughs> so to speak. But what, if any specific thing, got your attention? Wow. Well, there was there was a lot about John Fetzer that really interested me. Um, 
uh, I my specialty is American religious history, but I, I really look at um, new religious movements and new religious and spiritual movements, and I'm fascinated with how individuals basically create their worldviews. Um, and in most cases, uh, it's a it's a completely kind of unconscious process that people don't even think about too much. And so, for me to have the the kinds of materials necessary to actually do a kind of rich reconstruction of somebody's worldview is fairly rare. So I found this with my last subject, uh, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, who left behind this huge paper right. trail. So. Right. It was it was fun because I was able to really look in detail on how he constructed his worldview and how it evolved over time, and the same thing with John Fetzer. Um, there are materials in the Fetzer Institute archives that go all the way back to his his childhood, and so for me, one of the attractions here was uh, here was here was somebody's spiritual evolution that I could really reconstruct in detail, and really kind of understand him from the inside out. And so that was one of the major attractions to doing this book. Um, I want to ask you this question. What did you, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, mm -hmm. uh, but you, you can't say that I didn't tell you I wouldn't. What, <laughs> what was it about your research and discovery? Because you both. Well, you did a ton of research, and I, I know one researcher to another. I studied the consequence of broken promises for eight years, so I understand what research is, but mm -hmm. you, really, you really have done research. What did you find in your research about John that you were pleasantly surprised about? And then the flip side of that, what did you find where you thought, hmm, did he really do that? <laughs> but, well, bad boy, good boy. Well, um, the thing that really impressed me with John Fetzer was that um, I mean, he was he was born and raised a, a Christian. He was baptized a Methodist, and then his mother joined the Seventh Day Adventist Church when he was a teenager. So he followed his mother into the church. And he was a very kind of uh, devout Adventist for many years yeah. until his late 20s. And then he decided this really isn't fulfilling me spiritually. Um, so he left the church and at that point started to investigate all sorts of metaphysical and spiritual traditions out there. And what really impressed me with John Fetzer was just how open he was to exploring just about, you know, everything out there. And of course that was fun for me because I then had to go back and basically study each of the traditions he was into, like theosophy and Rosicrucianism and Hermeticism and all these kinds of things, new thought. So for me it was great because um, his openness really kind of opened up for me an opportunity to explore all these different things. Mm. Um, some of the things that surprised me, um, he was very interested in, in various forms of divination. And uh, yeah. this goes all the way back to his, um, when he left the Seventh-day Adventist church, he went down to, he was living at that time in Kalamazoo, and he went down to Indiana to a place called Camp Chesterfield, uh, which is a spiritualist camp. And it's still in business today. They're a thriving institution, and it's kind of like a permanent psychic fair. And so he went down there in 1933 and started uh, going to seances and having readings by psychics and, and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he also encountered there a variety of different forms of divination. Um, for example, he, astrology, tarot cards, all those kinds of things. But the two things he adopted, which surprised me, um, were the pendulum 
he always carried around a pendulum yeah. in his pocket, and it was just yeah. simply a, a lead weight on the end of a string. Mm-hmm. And he, when he had decisions to make, and they could be personal, they could be business, they could be just about anything that he had doubts about, he would pull out the pendulum and basically ask it questions, yes, no questions. And he believed that the deflection of the pendulum would guide him to make a, a correct decision. So that surprised me. And, and he was also, uh, he loved using the Ouija board. Yes. <laughs> and that was just quite remarkable because, you know, I always thought of the Ouija board as, a, you know, a toy that basically kids play with, and, you know, um, and scare themselves with. But right. he used it as a, as a real tool. And he believed that he had actually gotten some really good results out of it. Um, he would ask it, you know, questions about business decisions and personal decisions, but he also used it to uh, trace his past lives because mm-hmm. he was a fervent believer in reincarnation and believed he had gone through multiple past lives. So that surprised me. I, I had no idea that people actually used Ouija boards in that kind of serious way. Yeah, this is before we went all Hollywood with them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 so I, I want to just take a minute. Oh, my God. I'm so uh, Benny. Let's go ahead and skip the break if we could. I want to take a minute and describe to our listeners uh, who John Fetzer was in the outside world. I want to sure. take a minute because you and I are talking about some things that there's a large population of people would not associate with highly successful and wealthy people. Right. right? Right. And I, I want to put this in context, if we could, for the rest mm-hmm. of the show. Sure. Let's talk about who this man is and what he achieved in the material world. Yeah, he was um, uh, a radio pioneer. Um, he yep. was first introduced to radio by his brother-in-law, a guy named Fred Ribble, who was a telegrapher on the Wabash Railroad. And together, uh, around about 1911 or 1912, they put together a really you know, kind of primitive crystal set radio. And it just blew John Fetzer away. And he knew he basically had his life's work. And so from there, uh, he managed to um, uh, build a radio station at his college. And the college turned around after a while and sold him the license to the radio station. So he moved it to Kalamazoo and created WKZO, which was one of the first commercial radio stations in Southwest Michigan. And from there, he got into FM radio, he got into um, television, he was a pioneer in cable, he also got into music and recording, uh, and just made a fortune by building this this media empire. Um, Here in Michigan, uh, people who know about John Fetzer know about him because he was also the longtime owner of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. Um, he managed to put together an 11 man syndicate in 1956 and they bought the tigers and I forget exactly how much they paid for it, Mm -hmm. something like $5 million. And over a few years until 1961, he basically bought out all the other owners and he became the sole owner of the ball team. Uh, and he ran it until the early eighties when he finally sold it and, uh, sold it for about $50 million. So he made a pretty tidy profit off of it, but he loved the baseball team. He loved running the baseball team. So by the time he died, he was, uh, listed as one of the 400 wealthiest people in the United States by Forbes magazine. So an incredibly, incredibly successful businessman. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about that because now we've set the stage 
and the context for what we're about to talk about. Mm -hmm. In the book that you wrote, right, uh, Johnny Fitzer and the Quest for the New Age, right? Uh, In this book, um, I want to also tell people that we're not talking about somebody that, you you know, a, a, a decade ago. We're going back in time for a little bit. And I just also want to put that in place, too. So we're talking about his presence, right? Uh, Post-World War II, 1945, Mm -hmm. 1949, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. We're really talking about sort of the generation of the John Fetzer energy back in that era, too. Right, Mm -hmm. Brian? Dr. Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he um, uh, he was born in 1901, and he died yeah. in 1991. So he lived; yep. he was almost 90 years old. So his life really spans the 20th century, and mm-hmm. um, his story is fascinating because you know he's he's a good example of a kind of self-made businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, but his spiritual search, which he did in parallel to his business, um, is also kind of a record of a. a of a really unique spiritual search that, well, it wasn't unique because other people during the time were doing it as well, even in the Midwest. And that's one of the things I like to stress in the book is that um, John Fetzer was into all this stuff, but the only way he could be was if he could find it locally. And so there was really a very interesting kind of metaphysical and spiritual underground in the Midwest um, during most of his life. And he tapped into that and it was huge. Um, I'm originally from California, so I always thought growing up that California was the place <laughs> where all this stuff started. Right, and it turns no. out, no. Right. The Midwest, a lot of that stuff came out of the Midwest. And so that was, for me, uh, you know, as a, a scholar of new religious movements and spiritual movements, that was a fascinating aspect of this book. Well, I mean, it, it, it is a fascinating aspect. And, and, you know, part of this, too, is, boy, you do, you've done a beautiful job, really, of taking us on this journey. Oh my gosh, I found this so interesting in reading it. And of course, I've got to go back and read it because in getting ready for the show, I mean, I couldn't really stop and say, well, wait a minute, let me talk, let me just look at this a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to kind of uh, hop off, uh, hop out of the gate with the conversation about meeting Jesus in the elevator. Yes. And I, I want to talk about that because uh, he and I both, had very interesting Jesus experience when we were younger. But I love that story. I I mean, certainly meeting Jesus in the elevator got my attention, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was, this was, you know, back when he was, uh, he was a child in a small Indiana town and he went to the local department store, a place called Shortels. And as kids, you know, are like to do, he was fooling around in the elevator, playing in the elevator. And apparently at some point it got stuck or something happened. Uh, and he felt he was trapped. And then all of a sudden he looked up and he had a vision of Jesus. And he found himself holding on to Jesus's leg. And Jesus said to him, you know, I'll never let go of you. And so for him, and he's recounting this actually at the end of his life in his 80s. So this was a tremendously formative experience that just impressed him with kind of you know, the, 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 the availability of spirit, you know, even in a department store elevator, here it was. So that was a tremendously formative experience for John Petzer. Yeah. You know, um, did John know, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Did John know 
that he was in the middle of this movement that we look back at now and call the new age. Did he know he was he was in this? Well, um, no, although um, yeah. he actually he called himself a new ager and yeah. used the term himself. But that was back in beginning in the 1960s. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And so when the new age movement um, really became prominent in the United States in the 80s and early 90s, uh, he was already ahead of the wave. Um, he would, uh, had already for 20 years been talking about the New Age and calling himself a New Ager. And there's a lot in common with his spiritual worldview and the worldview that eventually became identified as New Age. Now, you mentioned earlier, which is interesting, um, a lot of people today don't want to be called New Agers. Uh, they shy right. away from the idea of New Age. And I think this is something I discuss at the end of the book is that um, today uh, people associate the New Age or the New Age movement with a kind of um, hyper-individualistic, over-commercialized, narcissistic kind of self-spirituality. And one of the things that John Fetzer really emphasized was that you know, individual spiritual transformation is important, but he hoped that if enough people on the planet basically underwent this spiritual transformation, it would lead to a global transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's the new age. The new age is a global phenomenon. It's not an individual one. So for him, it was always, there was always this social component uh, to his spiritual quest. Yeah. Um, one of the things, too, that I was really struck by in the book was almost this sense of relentlessness in this quest, in mm -hmm. this journey. Do you know, is that a good word mm -hmm. or did I use it? No, I, tenacious, that? relentless. I think tenacious, you're exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to ask you a, a sort of a not so researchy question, but an opinionated mm -hmm. question. Uh -huh. What do you think was going on inside of him that literally, not inspired, that's not the word, mm -hmm. but just wouldn't let go of him in this journey? Because that's my sense of him, especially mm -hmm. now after reading the book. Well, I think it, it, the kind of fundamental aspect of the worldview is this kind of monistic view of the cosmos, mm -hmm. that everything is spirit. And he believed that there was a great central source that basically emanated spirit. And since he was a radio engineer, he always yeah. thought of in terms of the metaphor of energy. So he's always yeah. talking about energy or spiritual energy. Yeah. And sometimes he would he would talk about God occasionally, but he would also talk about the father of radiation. And what he meant by that was spiritual radiation, spiritual yeah. energy. Mm -hmm. And for him, I think this was compelling because it explained a lot, but it also helped him reconcile science and spirituality which for him was a lifelong goal. He always wanted to come up with ways that would harmonize science and spirituality because ultimately he believed that the, one of the kind of um, uh, harbingers of the new age, if you will, was uh, when science became spiritualized, when there was a harmony between science and spirituality. So I think his quest was to basically prove to himself and to the world that science and spirituality are basically two sides of the same coin. And I think that that provides some of the drive, some of the tenaciousness, um, because that's why he was looking at everything um, to come up with elements to put together for his worldview, all in the quest to basically prove to the, the reality of spirit at some level. Oh, and that leads me to the next question. Um, mm -hmm. 
I was, uh, I was, I, I love that you talked about the I am religious activity in the book. Yeah. Uh, I am. And I want to say that word because now we're seeing the use, very, very similar use of the word I am, not just in the New Thought arena anymore, mm-hmm. but also in sort of this progressive movement in Christianity mm-hmm. to move away from religion and talk spirituality. And by the way, the person that comes to mind is Joel Osteen around mm-hmm. this right now from mm-hmm. a Christian contingency uh, and even Joyce Meyer when I think about that. But this language, this I am language, especially when I think about the, the dates of the references you make in the book, mm-hmm. 1934, 1935, 1938, uh, Bill Wilson, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous movement, Ernest yes. Holmes, uh, uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins, you know, and now we're talking about these people. So right. can you talk about, from your perspective and research, who are the most influential people or the inf- in, the most influential writings uh, 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 for, for John? Well, um, I think there are a number. Uh, mm-hmm. He was um, uh, really fascinated by theosophy of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And theosophy, of course, is the, it began in the United States. It was a 19th century movement that basically brought together Western esotericism with uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that's where he actually got his belief in reincarnation and yeah. the power of karma. Mm-hmm. Um so I think theosophy was it was tremendously important, and within the theosophical kind of orbit, um, there's the I am religious activity, which was based in Chicago, and what's really interesting there is that um, the theosophy basically believes that there are people who can channel higher beings or ascended masters. And that there are these uh, higher beings out there that can uh, basically provide us with guidance in our spiritual evolution. And that's another key idea in theosophy is is human spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. So the I am religious activity was based on these kinds of ideas as well. He was also very interested in Alice Bailey and the Arcane School. Yeah. Um, And uh, he, he loved the great invocation. Yes, and he had that printed uh, in his in one of his genealogies, and he also um, he had uh, kind of um, uh, spiritual groups when he was older, study groups, and they would always begin by reciting the Great Invocation. So I think these were tremendously important. And then in New Thought, um, there are a number of figures that were important, uh, even including, uh, well, of course, Ralph Waldo Trine in Tomb mm-hmm. of the Infinite, uh, Ernest Holmes, yep. and uh, you know Norman Vincent Peale, of course, the, the big 1950s um, kind of uh, Christianized New Thought guy. Mm-hmm. So these were very important for him, too. Um, the idea that... Uh, the mind had power over matter was a tremendously important idea for him. And even before he practiced meditation, he practiced affirmations. And of course that goes right back to the new thought movement. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, some of the, I just want to say to folks, if you want to find out more about what the great invocation is, you can certainly Google it and it'll take you there. Um, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we have copies of this book to give away. And more importantly, you know, what is it looking looking like now as we put ourselves in the shoes of 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 John Fetzer in the in in the year 2018 what would it look like from Bri- Dr. Brian Wilson's perspective 
if John were here now and looking back, what might he say and would he revise his vision? Let's take a short break. We're going to have so much fun. (laughs) We'll be right back. Are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you? Are you ready for a real shift? I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me, Tracy L, on the Tracy L Clark Show, where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life. At 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at tracylclark.com. Golden Otter Divinations Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in the first Friday every month at 9 a.m. Pacific as Autumn, educator, health coach, and medium, explores metaphysical and mainstream strategies on how to elevate your level of conscious living. Draw in the abundance that is yours by divine right. For more information about working with Autumn, visit goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us. Tune in to E3 Influence Radio. Own your impact. Master your world. In this new hit show, Sarah Luce, empowerment coach and spiritual mentor, teaches us how to achieve our greatest potential to positively affect everything and everyone. The time is now to enlighten our minds, empower our hearts, and take energized action to raise the consciousness of our planet. Sarah shows us how with simple, easy-to-implement steps. To find out more about Sarah Luce and her E3 Influence program, visit sarahluce.com. What is holding you back from living the life you were meant to live? Why is it vital to believe in something bigger than yourself? Are you in physical or emotional pain? Tune in monthly to Vibrant Purposeful Living. Awaken the vibrant life within you with Lou Paradise and Dr. Pat on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Lou's passion is to help everyone experience positive solutions for life. Find out more about Lou with Vibrant Purposeful Living at LouParadise.com. Tune in to Knowledge Book Radio with host Marge Potasik each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Through many experiences, Marge was led to the Knowledge Book, a gift to humanity in its transition to the Golden Age, and it provided the truth and the answers. She now shares information from the Knowledge Book with you each week on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information, visit USA.TheKnowledgeBook.net. Do you believe you are meant to live with more joy, but you're just not sure how to get it? What does the phrase, give me the joy, make you feel? Join me, Lynn Horde, every second and fourth Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Give Me The Joy Show, as I take you on a journey to peel back the layers so you can take back your joy. To find out more about my work as the Joy Coach, including my popular programs, Joy School and Joy at Work, visit lynnhorde.com. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Look, uh, we are going to give a couple of copies away of Dr. Brian Wilson's book. uh, And the book is called John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. I love this book for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is that 
I have been on my own spiritual journey and trying to make sense of things uh, for most of my life. And to really read in such detail what it was like to see a very successful individual be part of the same quest that many of you are on, right? You know, it's interesting to really have a book in hand like this, uh, Dr. Wilson, and realize you're not alone. But before we get to that, I'd love to find out how can folks get a copy of the book and how can they find out more about you? Well, um, the book is, uh, it was published by uh, Wayne State University Press, and yeah. it's available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, of course. Uh, and it's been published as a hardback and also an ebook. So if you want to get it for Kindle, you can. Oh, yeah. Now, there's um, uh, the Fetzer Institute basically uh, um, uh, uh, commissioned this project. And they have a branch called the Memorial Trust, which is uh, basically in charge with preserving the legacy of John Fetzer. And they have a, a website called infinitepotential.com. And if you go there, you can um, find out about uh, the Memorial Trust and the Fetzer Institute in general. And you can also download a free PDF of the, of the preface and first chapter of the book. So if you're interested in just getting a little teaser, um, that's available there. And then if you're interested in, in learning more about the Fetzer Institute in general, uh, all you have to do is go to Fetzer, F-E-T-Z-E-R dot org. And there uh, you'll find uh, descriptions of the various kinds of spiritual programs that the Fetzer Institute's doing today. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would encourage everybody go check out Infinite Potential, um, the website, because uh, first of all, I, I, I think it's very important that we're all coming together to share ideas and www.infinitepotential.com is a great place to start as well as some of the other places dr wilson talked about uh benny let's go ahead and give a copy of the book away if we could 1-800-930-2819 1-800-930-2819 um dr wilson before the break i i said you know i wonder what I wonder what John Fetzer would be thinking if he were here on the show with us today mm -hmm. and kind of be looking back at his own personal journey mm -hmm. and, and sort of the evolution of things. And one of the things that comes to mind is given the evolution that we're talking about, uh, are we any clearer on where we are and what we believe or are we kind of more confused than ever? And the reason I bring this up is because we went from people really holding their head up high about being part of the New Age movement mm -hmm. to almost being at a place where you can't find the term anymore. Right. Well, I think for um, John Fetzer, he was always a, a tremendously optimistic person. So I think even looking back, um, he would still think that we've made some progress. Now it's incremental and it's small, but I think he he would he would think that we're we are making some progress. On the other hand, um, he was always very concerned about, uh, for example, um, what was happening in the United States. Um, he was um, always a very uh, fervent patriot and thought the United States had a big role to play in the ultimate spiritual transformation of the world. And so when he was writing in the 1960s, he was addressing the kinds of divisive issues that were um, mm. 
a problem during that period, and yeah. he suggested spiritual solutions to them. And today, I think if you were alive and looking at the country now and how we're just so divided and it's uh-huh. so very difficult for us to talk mm-hmm. to our neighbors if mm-hmm. they happen to be on the other side of the political fence, um, I think you would be dismayed by it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think you would still think that if, if you uh, pursue spiritual solutions um, to the problems, then we can overcome this and basically move forward. Um, one of the interesting things is, uh, towards the end of his life, he um, he basically liquidated his businesses, sold everything off, and used the the proceeds to uh, create a foundation. And the foundation is called the Fetzer Institute, and it's still uh, thriving today. And it um, its mission has evolved over the years. But one of the programs they're, they're doing right now is um, looking at the kind of spiritual roots of democracy and uh, getting groups of people together of a variety of different um, you know, ideologies and opinions, all to talk about kind of the spiritual roots of democracy as, as hopefully an effort to get people to start talking with each other instead of shouting at each other. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing that John Fetzer would think would be called for, um, you know, considering the state of the country right now. So I think he would be he'd be dismayed. Yeah. Uh, I think he would have thought we could have made more progress in you know the almost thirty years since he's been gone. Mm-hmm. But I think he was always very realistic about you know um, human failings, but also very optimistic about human potential. So um, I think he would would have thought that you know we were we were still making progress, even though that progress seemed um, very limited. Mm-hmm. Um. How would you describe how would you describe the method, if I could use that term, or the way that he integrated his beliefs into his everyday life? Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, for example, he mm-hmm. um, he really believed that his, his he had really good business instincts, yeah. business intuition, mm-hmm. and uh, he believed that his his ability to make generally pretty good business decisions and especially to surround himself with um, good people uh, who were, you know, um, loyal and helpful was due to a kind of extrasensory perception. He really thought of his, 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 his business instincts, his intuition as being almost psychic in nature. And so I think that helped him trust his instinct because he believed in the reality of, of the psychic world. So that was very important. But the interesting thing about John Fetzer was that he was always very careful to um, kind of compartmentalize his business life from his Mm. spiritual life until his last decades. And I think the reason for that was um, he was always very private, I think, a private person. Yeah. But he had business considerations as well, because in uh, West Michigan, which tends to be pretty conservative religiously, he was always afraid that he was going to be misunderstood and that he might lose advertisers and audience members if they knew the kinds of things he was interested in. So it became second nature for him to be um, very private about his, his spiritual development. And that is until the 1970s when he decided to basically sell off his companies and basically create his foundation. Um, at that point, he became much more open uh, about his, his spiritual journey mm-hmm. in, until the last decade in which he was almost completely open about it. 
Um, so there's an interesting kind of evolution in terms of um, his spiritual journey, in terms of just how willing he was to basically let the world know uh-huh. that this is what he was into. Um, I have a different question for you, because I've often thought of my own spiritual journey, and I've often thought of, okay, if I were alive during the time he were alive, who would be the people I would reach out to to sit down with and have coffee or tea or something with? Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, who were those people? Were there people that he said, you know, I really need an audience with this, 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 and this? Now, I know that there are a lot of years we're talking about, mm-hmm. but I can only imagine as the evolution uh, that he had going on within, he sought people on the outside. Well, he did. In terms of his spiritual journey, um, he was always interested in uh, identifying people who he believed were genuinely psychic. Um, Mm -hmm. And so during the 1960s, he was great friends with Jean Dixon Mm. um, and consulted her quite a bit. Um, He was, uh, he took a trip in the 1970s to basically investigate parapsychological research in Europe. And one of the people he ran into was a, um, a, a psychic named Ina Twig, who was quite well known in her day. And she, in fact, was the one who basically suggested he use the Ouija board to trace his past lives. Mm-hmm. So he was always reliant on psychics. He was always reliant on channelers. Uh, and those were the kinds of people that he would really kind of open up to in terms of his spiritual journey. Although he always had a circle of good friends um, that formed a kind of Uh, club, if you will, or study group. So in the 1970s, he got very interested in A Course in Miracles. Uh, He was one of the first people to read these these channelings. So he brought together a group of people in Kalamazoo who he Mm. knew and trusted, and they basically uh, spent years studying A Course in Miracles. So um, there are a number of major kind of figures in the psychic world that he was interested in meeting. And, of course, he was always meeting, you know, in terms of uh, just famous people, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of pro sports and politics and business, all sorts of interesting folks. But in terms of his spiritual life, um, it really were kind of spiritual advisors and, and, and channelers. And, in fact, in his last decade, uh, he came to know a, a channeler uh, from Texas named Jim Gordon, uh, who he was very impressed with and essentially became kind of his house his house channeler, his house psychic for the last 10 years of his life. Mm. And so this was somebody he, he trusted implicitly and found just tremendously helpful, um, not only in his own spiritual search, but also setting the, um, the mission of the Fetzer Institute. And let's talk about that for a minute, because, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in time, you know, we're, we discover that he's not only just out in the world doing all the things that we're talking about, but, you know, he is now, I'm going to build for the new age. I'm yes. going to build something. I'm going to create something. And let's talk about the foundation for a minute, because mm-hmm. it wasn't just about this is my life. This is what I believe. But it's about what's the legacy going to be about? Talk, and can we yeah. talk a little bit about what his intention was, vision was, and, and mm-hmm. how it came to be? Yeah, well, um, 
part of it was um, he made a tremendous amount of money in his lifetime. But I, mm-hmm. I think he was always a little bit uncomfortable about how rich he became. Yeah. Because um, he himself lived a very modest lifestyle. I mean, mm-hmm. there were no um, chauffeured limousines or private jets or any of that kind of stuff. Lived in a very modest home here in Kalamazoo. So I think for him, the money making was fun, but it wasn't the end it wasn't the goal and the goal ultimately had to have some spiritual purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think for a long time he was thinking about how can I use my money to basically, and he always talked about money as energy, energy to do work in the world. Yep, that's right. And, and so how, how can I use my money to basically, uh, catalyze the kind of global spiritual transformation that I think is going to happen. Um, and so at the end of his life, well, in the 1970s, when he was in his 70s, he began kind of laying the groundwork uh, to basically fund up his foundation. Now, the foundation was created in the 1950s, but he really didn't do much with it until mm-hmm. the 1970s. And that's when he started selling off his businesses and actually had the money to uh, really invest in all sorts of interesting programs and research. Um and this foundation would eventually, of course, become the Fetzer Institute. And he knew he wasn't going to live to see the New Age. Um, he knew that this was going to be a long-term proposition. But he felt if he could embody his vision in a stable institution, then that would essentially be his legacy. And so the Fetzer Institute's mission was um, kind of twofold. Um, one was to encourage individual spiritual transformation uh, in hopes of uh, basically catalyzing the global spiritual transformation. But it was also to fund cutting-edge science, to look at the interface between science and spirituality. And to some degree, those two missions have continued with the Fetzer Institute uh, to the present day. And, and, you know, this really leads to the shift that he made, because I think early mm-hmm. on, right, you know, he was really focused on uh, the paranormal, but you know, in this this later stage, um, he really tapped into energy medicine. I think before yes. energy medicine was mentioned on Dr. Oz's show yep. here, but yep. I, you know, let's talk a little bit about you know energy medicine because you know mm-hmm. if you go back in time and you look at what he did here, there weren't really a whole lot of people talking about this, let alone funding it. Were there? No, no, he was a pioneer in this. Um, During the 1970s, he was really interested in parapsychological research. So he was funding up, you know, programs in ESP and clairvoyance and and psychokinesis and things like that. And then he grew kind of dissatisfied with the pace of research. And his health also was beginning to fail at the end of the 70s. So he, he started changing his focus away from that towards alternative medicine, holistic health. And within that, the thing that really fascinated him was the potential of using the human aura, the kind of energy transmissions of the body, mm-hmm. of coming up with a technology that could actually you know, detect and measure this uh, in order to basically um, diagnose and treat disease. So he entered into a partnership with the um, ARE Clinic, the Association for Research and Enlightenment Clinic, and this is part of the Edgar Cayce um, organization, and that was, it's in Arizona, and together they were going to pioneer the, the, um, the creation of new technologies to basically um, do this kind of energy medicine. 
Um, they made some progress, and in fact, uh, there was a, a global energy medicine conference that uh, Fetzer basically underwrote in 1989, and it took place in Madras, India, and it's really, some people cited as the beginning of, uh, of energy medicine research, serious energy medicine research in the world. So it had a tremendous impact. Um, although after John Fetzer died in 1991, the Fetzer Institute decided to go in different directions away from energy medicine research and more towards kind of more mainstream holistic health research and education. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things I think I'm curious about, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, do, do you, I often think about, okay, he has such a rich and fulfilling life, right? Did mm -hmm. so many things, so many influences. You know, was there something at the time of his passing that he wished he would have done more of, or maybe something he would have not done? Hmm. I know, um, right? Yeah, it's, I, you know, because the interesting thing is, is, at a certain point, he basically thought, okay, the foundation is on an even keel, and so um, I can let it run of itself. And he basically uh, moved away from Kalamazoo and went to Hawaii to spend the last 18 months or so of his life. So he was very confident that the, the Fetzer Institute was going to accomplish what he wanted it to accomplish. Um, you know, it's 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 hard to say. He had a wonderful relationship with his wife Rhea, who he married in 1926, and she died in I think 86. Yeah. So it was a long, long, very yeah. uh, fulfilling marriage. Yeah. Uh, and a marriage of equals too, um, because in the early days he was off in Washington D.C. trying to get certain legislation passed uh, so he could expand his radio business, and his wife Rhea basically ran the radio. So mm. she's a real important part of his success. So in his home life, I think he was very fulfilled. And in his spiritual life, basically eventuated into in the Fetzer Institute. And of course, in terms of business, um, he was a tremendous success. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think mm -hmm. he would have, he was very satisfied. In fact, yeah. he basically said that, you know, this is my last incarnation here on Earth. You know, I've gone through multiple reincarnations, multiple past lives, all li leading up to this point. I've gotten the wisdom and the knowledge from these past lives, and now I can actually apply it. And he was very confident that this was it. He would uh, send to a higher plane of consciousness and continue his journey, you know, in the afterlife, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't be coming back. Mm. So I think that's pretty, you know, if, if, if we could all say that on our deathbed, uh -huh. I think we'd all be pretty satisfied. I have a question for you. Um, mm -hmm. If he was sitting here with us, uh, I wonder, what would you like to ask him? Well, um, one of the things that it, 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 it intrigues me is that mm -hmm. he had a very powerful mystical experience as a child, and the, the Jesus in the elevator experience. Um, but later, he basically did not. And at one point, he even tried LSD as a, as a possible way of um, yeah. having a mystical experience, which yeah. um, was not a very good experience for him. He never yeah. did it again. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious um, why he thought 
you know, um, here was a tremendously spiritual person who obviously had the capacity for mystical experience, but um, that was something, maybe getting back to your previous question, I guess that was something maybe that uh, he made, may have regretted was mm-hmm. that he didn't have a, a more rich you know, kind of mystical life in that sense. Most of his, he was very intellectual. Most of most yeah. of his, his spiritual search was very, uh, um, you know, uh, in the mind, essentially. Yeah, cognitive. Very cognitive, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. And he was always searching for religious experience um, through practices like transcendental meditation. And then he got into Suryat Shab Yoga type of Radhaswami meditation during his 80s, uh, which he found fulfilling. But um, I don't think he really had the kind of uh, dazzling mystical experience that he was hoping for. So Mm -hmm. I'd ask him about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, and and it's so interesting you you mentioned that because, you know, part of this, too, is um, really looking at the evolution of his own personal journey, but then also, you know, on the show today and out in the world – there's so many people that, you know, you're looking at some of the changes that people are making individually and organizations are making, and the evolution continues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine that is baffled uh, by the latest decision that the Pope made where he changed the catechism, changed the word in the catechism, but it's a big word. And mm-hmm. the bottom line to that is, look. If we're going to be pro-life, we're going to be pro-life. And and what the Pope is saying, you, you cannot be pro-life for abortion rates and then be pro-death for people that commit crimes. I mm-hmm. mean, I think he changed like a word or two, but it changed mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people don't even know that that even happened. But I think we are talking about the evolution of things and the really exploration of beliefs that we once had that are up for reconsideration. Yeah. Well, I think that's key. Always to keep an open mind and always mm-hmm. always know that what you have is not the final end product. Right. You know, if this life is simply a continuum of, of past lives and, and future lives, then it's really presumptuous of us to think that we actually know anything mm-hmm. for absolute sure. Yeah. And so I think you always, in a spiritual search, you know, it's a it's a cliche, but it's 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 you know, it's the journey, not the destination, that's important. Yeah. Well, I listen. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilson, for joining us here today. And I have one last question for you. Uh-huh. What is your personal message? What would you like to leave us with? And again, tell us how we can get a copy of the book and how we can find out more. And thank you for today. My pleasure. It's been great. Well, I mean, if there's any larger message in the book, uh, Johnny Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, it's the importance of, of keeping yourself open to spiritual experience and spiritual exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what kept John Fetzer going and kept him young, uh, even into his, his late 80s. So I think that's the message I'd, I'd like to um, relay um, the book, uh, you can get uh, copies of the book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and other online booksellers. And again, if you're interested in downloading a, a free PDF of the preface in the first chapter, uh, you can go to InfinitePotential.com. Mm. 
Wow, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Brian Wilson, everybody. Book is really just loaded with information. And I found it fascinating, absolutely fascinating, Dr. Wilson. So thank you for doing it. It's a body of work, boy. (laughs) (laughs) thank you well Benny thank you for pushing all of the right buttons as usual I want to thank all of you the best listeners on the planet I want to thank you for being absolutely amazing and thank you for tuning us in turning us on if you've missed any part of this go ahead and go to transformationtalkradio.com or the Dr. Pat show and we'll see you next time Preceding audio was via a Skype call.